The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to This is Catholicism on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Jason Gordiano, and I am joined by His Excellency, Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida. Your Excellency, thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Restoration Radio is pleased to present This is Catholicism free of charge to our listeners by the generous sponsorship of Australian Catholic Mission. This is Catholicism, the Catechism Show, is using the text, A Complete Catechism of the Catholic Religion, by Father Joseph de Harba, S.J., and is available in the public domain as a PDF and used in reprint copies are still available. More information is in the show notes. In Episode 2, we started Part 1 on Faith, Chapter 1, Faith in General, covering the nature and necessity of faith, followed by the object and rule of faith. Uh, Your Excellency, what I would like to highlight from last episode is when you said that the world sees faith as a feeling about God, a religious feeling, or a hope and confidence in God. But you said it is neither of those things. It is a very cold act, an unemotional act of assenting and adhering to the truths revealed by God and are proposed to us by the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Um, That's quite a contrast to, uh, to today's culture. Yes, it's dominated by Protestantism, in which faith is merely an emotion. It is a a feeling about God. It's a confidence in God. That's faith for the Protestant. And modernism has taken that up as as a substitute for Catholic faith. So Bergoglio says that faith is an experience of Christ, which completely subjectivizes it. That means it has no object it has no dogma as an object. It's simply an experience. I have an experience of God or an experience of Christ. Uh, and puts it on the level of emotion, essentially. So that, then the, that wipes away dogma in a single stroke. Uh, so that, that's why so it today, is the popular notion today. So now in episode three, we continue the chapter with mysteries, questions 19 to 21 and Holy Scripture, questions 22 to 33. So this is part one on faith, chapter one, faith in general continued, section three, mysteries, questions 19 to 21. Question 19, can we understand all the truths of the faith? First of all, by the term understand, what the question means is comprehend, that is to totally exhaust the entire reality of the doctrine. 
And the answer is no, we cannot. We can understand the doctrines of the faith to a certain extent, but we cannot totally exhaust their reality. An example would be the light of the sun. Our eyes are too weak to look at the sun. In the same way, our intellects are too weak to totally comprehend the mysteries of, say, the Trinity or the Incarnation or the Holy Eucharist. We can understand a certain amount. We can take little glimpses of the sun. We, we, we are in sunlight all the time, but we cannot stare at the sun and take it all in. Now, God could make eyes that could stare at the sun all the time, and uh, because that's, you know, the sun is a limited thing. But these supernatural mysteries are such that not even God himself could create an intellect that could totally comprehend these mysteries. So we are in the, in the presence of something that is truly mysterious, that is, <coughs> it does not involve contradiction, but it is too big for our intellect. Uh, it is too much for our intellects, too much reality, we might say, too bright for our intellects. So we uh, can only understand a, them to a certain extent. So that's why we study the Catechism. That's why we have dogmas. It is not to say that we know nothing about these things. We know even quite a bit. But to understand how there are three persons in one God perfectly is impossible. Or how our Lord is present in the Holy Eucharist totally and perfectly is impossible. Uh, So uh, the answer to the question is, no, we cannot understand all the truths of the faith because some of them are mysteries. Question 20. What are mysteries? Uh, a mystery is something which I uh, just described. That is, it is something which is obscure to us, you know, like a, a mystery novel. Uh, who did it? The, the answer is obscure to us, but in the case of supernatural truths, they are not obscure in themselves. They, there is an abundance of reality, an abundance of existence, an abundance of light. And so in themselves, they're perfectly clear. But only God himself can totally understand them. So not even the Blessed Virgin Mary or the greatest of the angels can understand totally the mysteries of the faith, the supernatural mysteries of the faith. Uh, so that's why it says the uh, mysteries are truths beyond reason which we cannot completely understand, but we believe them to be. So that's why we have to believe them, uh, because to see them would be impossible. We believe those things that we cannot and do not see. If I see an accident on the road, nobody has to make me believe it. I saw it. But if I did not witness it, I have to take somebody's word for it. And that's why we believe things on faith, and that is because we we do not see them. We do not see them as, for example, mathematical truths. There is a certain obscurity in these things. And so uh, that's why we must have faith. Question 21. Are mysteries contrary to reason? No, they they are not. What is contrary to reason is obscurity. That is darkness for the intellect. To say 2 plus 2 equals 5 is a meaningless thing to the intellect, or that something is, say, a dog and not a dog at the same time. 
that that is contradiction that that is absolute darkness it it doesn't speak to the intellect in any way the these are things that uh, are not darkness but excessive light with regard to our intellects so they they are rich so rich in their reality uh, and so superabundant in their reality that they are not contrary to reason but they are beyond reason and that is the answer to the question Mysteries are beyond reason, but not contrary to it. So the, uh, it cites the Vatican Council of 1870. Although faith is above reason, there can never be any real discrepancy between faith and reason. And the, why that is true is this, that both, all truth comes from God, whether it is truths known by reason, whether it is truths known by faith. Faith and reason can never contradict each other because both have the same source. So the council continues, since the same God who reveals mysteries and infuses faith has bestowed the the light of reason on the human mind, and God cannot deny himself, nor can truth contradict truth. So all truth is ultimately one in God. Uh, Your Excellency, so how is this in contrast to and the Novus Ordo Modernist saying that church is mystery, or, or rather, what seems to be the eternal vagueness um, they're always talking about. Yes, the modernists abhor the idea of an institutional church. For them, the, the institution of the church is a completely human thing. Uh, it is a, an organization. The church for them is something that has no institution intrinsically attached to it. That's why they say that the uh, the Church of Christ subsists in the Catholic Church. That is, as it is an, uh, an institution operating in the world. But the Church of Christ comprises many more people than the Catholic Church does. It is simply a way in which the Church of Christ functions and operates in the world. So the, they have given all sorts of names to this Church of Christ, the people of God, the Pilgrim Church, communion, the church is communion, uh, the church is a mystery. It, it is not wrong to say that there are mysterious aspects of the church, uh, the, the work of the Holy Ghost in the church and the protection of the church from error. Those are all supernatural mysteries. But to uh, just relegate the the church to a mystery as if it were not something visible, something attainable, something discernible uh, to human reason is is false. But that, that's that's modernist. You you never uh, in general you did not see that word used concerning the church in pre-Vatican II theology. Section number four. Holy Scripture, questions 22 to 33. Question 22. Where are the truths revealed of God contained? There are two sources of revelation, sacred scripture and tradition. That is a dogma of the Catholic Church. Uh, Sacred scripture is the writings of inspired writers. Those inspired writers are the ones that are designated by the Church as having been inspired. And uh, so those are the canonical books, uh, as opposed to spurious and bogus books, of which there were many in the early Church. You should see the list of all of the false gospels. 
so forth. But the church was very careful to preserve the inspired books. And the so that's one source of revelation. The other is tradition. That is the uh, what has been handed over by Christ to the apostles and to those even disciples, uh, and but which was never written down, at least in sacred scripture. In most cases, it was written down in the writings of the fathers. But uh, it is the uh, teaching by word of mouth. And so there are many things in tradition that you may not find in sacred scripture, because Christ never wrote anything. The only time that he ever wrote anything was when he made some markings in the sand when there was the woman caught in adultery. And it is generally interpreted that he was writing the sins of those who wanted to stone her. And that's why they put down their stones and walked away. He said, let, let him who was without sin cast the first stone. Uh, that's the only time that there is writing on the part of Christ. And there were no scriptures at all for the first at least 10 years uh, of preaching the gospel. Uh, you have the early epistles of St. Paul, but uh, the, for a, about 10 years, there was nothing at all. There was only preaching. So the church uh, very much insists on the fact that sacred tradition is one of the sources of revelation and therefore will propose truths to be believed from the source of sacred tradition. Now, in most cases, those traditions are attested to by the, uh, the fathers of the church, also by the sacred liturgy and observance of a feast, for example, uh, would be a sign of a tradition. Now, there are various rules uh, to, to determine what is a true apostolic tradition, but that, that's the idea of it, is that there is a whole world of truths that are not contained in sacred scripture. Uh, and this is uh, attested to by St. John himself, who said that there are many things that Christ said and did which are not written in this book, and that if you were to write them all down, the world could not hold all the books. Question 23. What is the Holy Scripture? It is, as I said, the collection of books that the Church has approved as canonical books. That is, they are written by inspired authors. And that means that they contain the Word of God, because uh, the principal author of those books is God, God the Holy Ghost, the secondary and instrumental author is the human uh, person who is writing down those things. Uh, so when you're reading sacred scripture, you are reading the word of God. Uh, you are not reading primarily the words of the human author. True, he expresses these thoughts in his own way, but in such a way that he, that nevertheless, it emerges as the word of God. That is what God wants to be said. So that, that's the, uh, the teaching of the Church concerning sacred scripture. Question 24. How is the Holy Scripture divided? It's divided into the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament being the scriptures of the Israelites and the Hebrews and Jews, uh, that all point in one way or the other to the coming Messiah. 
uh, it is uh, it contains uh, well we'll see that in the next question there are many various kinds of books in the old testament and then in the new testament you have the uh, revelation of christ uh, both uh, in the gospels and in the epistles uh, particularly of saint paul but in the, in the epistles of the other others as well the other apostles as well uh, and uh, so you have the, those that's the big dividing line old testament and new testament Question 25. What revelations does the Old Testament contain? Uh, it contains the revelations that were done gradually to the human race according as it could accept them. So we see mostly the in the historical books the, the one God. Uh, as we get into the prophets, we see the uh, revelation of the Son of God. Uh, in in a somewhat obscure way, uh, but the the one who is to come and the uh, the characteristics of the Messiah. So, but we don't hear much about God the Holy Ghost in the Old Testament. So, in the New Testament, we have the revelation of the Trinity and uh, various other things. The whole perfection of revelation in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, there are it is one long preparation for the coming of the Messiah. And as I said, the Israelites could only know and accept things gradually. You have to realize that because of the effects of the of original sin, the human race was very dulled with regard to divine things and religious things. People were worshiping all kinds of crazy things. And, and so uh, even the Israelites themselves had a very great difficulty in pulling away from idols. And they were punished many times because they accepted the the uh, worship of idols. Uh, and God had to draw them out into the worship of a spiritual God. So the, you see in the, in the books of the Old Testament a gradual revelation of, uh, of God and his attributes and uh, of the coming Messiah. Question 26. Of what books does the Old Testament consist? Uh, we'll talk about here the uh, the major divisions. You have the historical books, the moral books, or the wisdom books, as they're called, and then you have the prophetical books. So there are 21 historical books uh, that deals uh, with creation and exodus, that is the... Uh, Leaving the uh, the land of Egypt, uh, it uh, also talks about the um, in uh, Joshua the uh, vanquishing the Canaanites and driving them out uh, and taking possession of the land that was promised to Abraham. Uh, that's all in the first early books of, of the Old Testament. Uh, it it also contains the four books of Kings, which describe uh, uh, the time from uh, from uh, Samuel. Uh, the the last of the judges to into uh, all of the descendants of David and Solomon. So it goes a long way and comprises many centuries. Uh, it also uh, it comprises the uh, the story of Esther, the book of Esther and the book of Job, as well as the Maccabees. So those are just some examples. There are others, Ruth, uh, um, and um, so uh, so you have twenty one historical books. 
Then you have the moral books or the what we call the sapiential literature or wisdom literature, and that is the Psalms and the Book of Wisdom and uh, Ecclesiasticus and Ecclesiastes. Those are moral maxims and axioms. And then you have the prophetical books. These are the books of the prophets. There are four major prophets and then 12 minor prophets. And uh, and these are the books that deal primarily with the coming of Christ. But there are also, in some cases, uh, threats against the Jews, especially in Isaiah, and uh, uh, where uh, if they do not repent, they will suffer a great deal. And, of course, that's exactly what happened. Uh, Jeremiah's, uh, the... Uh, those those are the prophetical books. So a prophet is somebody that speaks both for God, he's God's spokesman, and also he makes predictions. So so God used the prophets to warn Israel of of retribution if they ceased did not cease to uh, do things that are contrary to the law. So those are the that's the division, the historical books, the moral or sapiential books, and the prophetical books. Question 27. What revelations does the New Testament contain? The New Testament is is entirely devoted to Christ. It is the four gospels. Uh, it is and this would go into the next question, you know, the books of the New Testament. The four gospels, the uh 14 epistles of St. Paul, and then you have the uh, seven other epistles by the apostles. And then you have the Apocalypse of St. John the Evangelist at the end, uh, which uh, is a, a very obscure book, very difficult to interpret, uh, but uh, concerns very probably the uh, future coming of Christ, the, the times of the Antichrist and, and Christ's second coming. But there are various interpretations of that book. That's considered the one prophetical book of the New Testament. So it's it's all revelation of Christ. They are written by people who either knew Christ personally or were associates of people who knew Christ personally. Or in the case of St. Paul, someone who received, as he said, uh, what he knew from Christ himself. He did not speak of those things that he speaks about in the epistles as having been learned from somebody else. He said that these things were revealed to him by Christ himself. So that, that's number 27 and, and 28. Question 29. From whom alone can we know the true sense of Holy Scripture? Yes, from the Catholic Church, and that is the whole purpose of the Catholic Church, or one of its essential purposes, I should say. Uh, and that is to propose doctrine. Sacred Scripture is a difficult thing to understand. And you need to know a great deal about all of the circumstances of sacred scripture uh, in order to interpret it correctly. and But even so, the revelation in the hands of people who are not protected and, and assisted by the Holy Ghost is just a, a source of contention. The church is there to to teach infallibly concerning revelation so we know exactly what the book means now the church does not interpret every single text but it does interpret uh, according to its needs those uh, va- various texts of sacred scripture when it 
when it uh, promulgates dogmas. Uh, and so without that, you end up in Protestantism, where each person picks it up and decides for himself what it means. Now, when those words are written, there is a specific meaning. That is, the, the sacred author means a specific thing. An interpretation doesn't mean what you think. It means the discovery of what that sacred author meant when he said this. And in order to do that infallibly, you need the assistance of God. And that's why the Catholic Church has a unity of faith, because people accept its ability to teach in the name of God those things. And that's why Protestantism is cut up into so many different uh, sects, because each person decides for himself what is true, and at the same time claims to be inspired by the Holy Ghost, which makes no sense at all that two people could think two different things about the same text, and that it is the same infallible God that is inspiring them in each case to think opposite things. That makes no sense at all. It's totally absurd. So the, the, uh, our Lord said to the apostles, He who hears you hears me. So the church teaches in the name of Christ and with the authority of Christ. We would like to remind you that you are listening to This is Catholicism on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Jason Guardiano, and I am joined by His Excellency, Bishop Donald Sanborn. And today we've been discussing faith in general, mysteries, and holy scripture. We want to remind you that This is Catholicism is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail at truerestoration.org. Question 30. May no one then presume to explain the scripture contrary to the interpretation of the Catholic Church? Yes, it's the logical conclusion from what has just been said, that if Christ has confided to the hierarchy of the Catholic Church the power to teach, and the power which implies the power to, to propose revelation as it is contained in sacred scripture, and to propose it infallibly because it teaches with the, with the authority of Christ, then obviously you cannot contradict it. Otherwise you're contradicting the Holy Ghost. So the, you know, that, that's of the essence of the Church. The, the, what the Protestants hate about the Church is the idea that God has confided a supernatural power in human beings. And what is of the essence of the Catholic Church is that it does have that supernatural power. It has it in the priesthood to, uh, and to say Mass, and, and particularly to consecrate the body and blood of Christ. It has it in the hierarchy, in teaching the faithful and, and ruling them, making laws for them, all done in the name of Christ and with the power of Christ. That is the, the, the big divider between Protestantism and Catholicism. But what keeps the, the Protestant away from the Catholic Church is the idea that he must submit to the idea, to, to the notion that human beings are endowed with the power of God. Their, their ministers are just people who, with their preaching, inspire them to have more faith, as they call it, that is, more confidence in God. But they do not see them as having the power of God to teach, rule, and sanctify the faithful. That, that's the big chasm between Catholicism and Protestantism. Question 31. 
But is the meaning of the Holy Scripture not clear in itself and easy to be understood by everyone? No, it isn't uh, easy to be understood. There are certain things that are easy to be understood. That Christ was born in Bethlehem, for example, uh, is easy to be understood. But there are many other things that are very obscure. And and the book uh, quotes St. Paul, uh, or excuse me, St. Peter, speaking of the epistles of St. Paul, he, he said, in which are certain things hard to be understood, which the unlearned and unstable rest to their own destruction. Uh, so already that defeats the, the teaching of the Protestants, which is uh, that the Holy Ghost inspires each person as he, as he reads sacred scripture. If that were true, then necessarily everyone would read sacred scripture in exactly the same sense. So what they do is they apply to each individual the power that they refuse to the Pope. You have the the inspiration. Each person has the inspiration from the Holy Ghost, the assistance from the Holy Ghost. And they, they live in a religion of absurdity because if that were true, then everyone would believe the same thing. Protestantism would have an absolute unity of dogma. Absolute, if that were true. That's that fact. The absurdity of Protestantism is what gave rise to deism, and that is intellectuals in Europe in the 17th century said this whole system is just crazy, and they so they came up with rationalistic systems, and also the emphasis that Protestant put the Protestants put on on faith as a as an emotion, as an experience, is so anti-intellectual. Uh, you you have to sort of get into a, a you know, a, a state of emotion in order to have some experience of God. I mean, you know, how do you distinguish that state of emotion uh, or that so-called experience from God from simply just getting riled up or getting getting worked up? How do you distinguish that? How do you know that you possess God and you that you possess the truths of God? So the the, the whole system is flawed right from the the, the beginning. Right, and uh, many in many Novosoto Bible classes, everything is about how does that, this or that scripture make you feel? Yes. yes, It's all Protestantism. And they must do that in order to appeal to Protestants. They must wipe away dogma. They must wipe away effectively the the ability of the church to teach in in God's name. So that's why in the Novosoto, it doesn't matter what you believe. You, You can say anything you want. You can believe anything you want. Because they have a Protestant rule of faith. So there's no longer heresy in the Novus Ordo. Nobody has any sense of the fabric of unity of the Catholic Church. For the Novus Ordo, it's all ripped to shreds. In the Catholic's mind, it all has to inhere and cohere together. And and one, it's something like what you know about mathematics. If If a if your mathematics teacher tells you 2 plus 2 equals 5, your mind immediately revolts against that. You say, this is absurd, this is crazy, that would ruin all of mathematics to say that. And so also the the Catholic understands that even one slight error in in this great fabric uh, of, of truth that inheres and coheres together is enough to ruin the whole thing. It's like a, a pin in a balloon. 
or or uh, taking one card out of a card house, the whole thing falls down if it is inconsistent. The Catholic understands that as as a necessary property of of the the faith, whereas the the uh, the modernist uh, has divorced faith and dogma. Those are two things that don't go together. Question thirty-two: Is it not then true that the Bible alone is the only rule of faith? Or, in other words, is not every private individual to search the Bible and nothing but the Bible until he finds out what he has to believe? No, it's not true. I would challenge any Protestant to look in the Bible and point out to me the doctrine that Scripture alone is the, is the, is the source of salvation, that only Scripture and not tradition is the source of salvation. Please point out that text to me. Uh, that is one of the pillars of, of Protestant doctrine, sola scriptura, scripture alone. Unfortunately, that is not found in sacred scripture. <laughs> you cannot find that in sacred scripture. And uh, it, so that means a human being made that up. And the other is private interpretation. That is, uh, I can pick up the scripture and figure out what it means. That's not contained in sacred scripture either. Now, they're, they're quick to point out to us, uh, you know, where do you find the word rosary in the Bible? <laughs> well, <laughs> they can't even find their most fundamental principle in the Bible. They can't find the word Bible in the Bible. So their, their religion rests on, on inventions of human beings. And uh, there is no basis to say it. And no one ever said that before Martin Luther. So for 1,500 years, no one ever said the Bible alone is, is the source of revelation. No one ever said it. Uh, for one reason is that, <laughs> that the Bibles were very hard to get because they were all done by hand. And they were kept in, in very safe places. So you, it was only until the printing press, it wasn't until the printing press, that it was able to be had by, by people in general. So that's why Luther could come out with that and say that. You know, it's, only, it's only the Bible. So th- there's no evidence to, to say what the Protestants say, that it's only it's Scripture alone. It just has no basis at all. Yes, Your Excellency. Uh, what I've witnessed in quote-unquote conservative Novus Ordo apologetics is the obsession with finding every facet of the Catholic faith or Catholic tradition only in the Bible in order to, in order to convince Protestants that as if everything in tradition has to be, there has to be some evidence of it in Scripture. So, so in this case, we're, we're off the hook because it doesn't rely solely on the Bible. And of course, with the Bible, as you said earlier, uh, how do we know which books belong in the Bible um, without the Catholic Church? Right. So, I mean, I could take the Los Angeles telephone book and say, this is the inspired Word of God. Prove to me that it isn't. That, that's the, the, one of the first things to say to the Protestant is, is show me that, you know, pick up the Bible and say, prove to me that this is the Word of God. Where did you get this? And he'll say, from my Protestant minister. Well, how does he know that that's the Word of God? How do you know that those authors wrote that book? How do you know that the text in that book is what those authors wrote down? And the Protestant cannot answer that. It's impossible for them to ascertain that. It's just a given. You know, we have this Bible, 
But as I said, it could be the Los Angeles telephone book. Their system is absurd. Uh, it appeals to human pride because it gives them the independence of the intellect. I will decide what I'm going to think about God. And nobody's going to tell me what to think about God, and especially what to think about morality. It gives the ultimate liberty. The, the highest faculty of man is his intellect. So it gives to, to each man the ultimate liberty to decide for himself what he will think uh, concerning God, which is the most important truth of all. So it, it is the basis of a, a false uh, liberty that, that human beings can, can think whatever they want about God liberty of conscience. That, that, is, that is thoroughly based in Protestantism. Question 33. What has the Church decreed with regard to the reading of the Bible in the vulgar tongue? The Church wants the people to uh, read sacred scripture, but it wants the faithful to read authorized translations and also translations that have footnotes that give the authentic meaning of sacred scripture, particularly in those cases in which the church has declared uh, um, the meaning for it. As I said, the church has not interpreted every verse of sacred scripture. But certainly, if they are giving other explanations, they have to be in accord with Catholic doctrine. So the, uh, the church has approved certain translations in each language, and certain uh, Bibles, you pick up certain Catholic Bibles, and you'll see in the front uh, approvals. And that means uh, that it's legitimate for the faithful to read these things. But you should not be reading any false translations. And there are many, many false translations. Uh, the King James Version, the, uh, uh, the American Bible, the Revised Standard Version, many things... Uh, that are that commonly passed for sacred scripture, they're full of errors, loaded with errors. And so, um, uh, for example, the King James translates "Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee" as "Hail, highly favored daughter." See, that's full of grace for the King James, and that is a, a completely erroneous translation from the Greek. The, the Greek indicates someone who is constituted in grace from the beginning. That's the, the word, and it, it is uh, used by St. Luke, and it is found only in one other place in all of Greek literature, the word that St. Luke used. There is one other case in which it is used, uh, and it means somebody who is constituted from the beginning in grace. So St. Jerome and... Uh, the church they always use gratia plena, that is, full of grace, totally graced, and not highly favored daughter. Esther was a highly favored daughter. Ruth was a highly favored daughter. The word daughter doesn't even exist in the, in the original Greek. And uh, so that's one example. Uh, another is the glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men of goodwill. That is the Catholic translation. The uh, Protestants say, uh, and under uh, uh, goodwill toward men, and turns out that that is a false reading of the Greek. It, it, it's due to a, a a copyist who left off an S. That's, that's what that is. 
just one letter got got missed, and because of that, the, the it reads differently in certain texts of the Greek what we receive in the Greek. And even the Protestants admit now that the Catholic reading is the correct reading of that. But in the King James Version, although they bragged about the fact that they were going back to the original sources and all this, they had bad original sources. They made mistakes, and and they they you know made some very bad translations. That, that's only one example. As you get into the modern translations, they are. Uh, some in some cases I would call them Bible stories. It's not really sacred scripture. It's just you know it is so massaged for the modern ear that it really is no longer what you'd call a translation. Uh, Your Excellency, so what Bible and maybe commentary would you would you recommend for a, a Catholic to read? Well, the the only one in English is the Douay Rheims. That's the only one. Uh, that was done in f- the late 1500s by scholars from Oxford, who had uh, uh, who were attending the seminary uh, that was set up in uh, France, Douai, which was then part of the actually Spanish Empire, and then they moved it to Reims, uh, and that's why it's Douai Reims, uh, you know, because it moved, and um, that was done in the late 1500s. Uh, and they translated it from the Vulgate. The King James came later. That's the only good translation. It was updated to more modern English in uh, around 1750 by Bishop Chaloner. If you see the original Douay, it, it's it's 16th century English, which is, would be very difficult to understand. Already, there are certain things that are uh, antiquated in in the 1750 translation, which we commonly use, but we understand it enough. We make certain adjustments in our head for it, uh, but it is very very accurate. It's it's absolutely accurate. The, so that's the only thing to. Uh, what, uh, and the the best commentary on it is Haddock. So that's commonly available. The the um, sacred scripture with the Haddock. Oh, it's called as Haddock's Bible, uh, and uh, uh, it's commonly available from uh, booksellers, uh, traditional Catholic booksellers of one form or other. And so people should have that in their homes. They would learn a great deal from it. Um, you know, it's a little expensive, but, you know, anything good is going to be expensive. And it's something that will last, in, you know, more than a lifetime. They'll hand it over to their kids when they die. So it, it's a, something that every family should have, and they should read it often. They should avoid the confraternity version, something that was put out in the 1940s. It's not terrible, but it, there are inaccuracies in it. They should avoid all of the modern stuff, the Jerusalem Bible, the Revised Standard, the American Bible. Uh, all of those things should be uh, avoided, like the plague. Yes, Your Excellency. Um, as we close out this episode, we have covered mysteries in Holy Scripture. Uh, what are mysteries? What's contained in Holy Scripture? Uh, who can interpret Holy Scripture? And I want to thank His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn for his time and being with us on this episode. Is there anything else you would like to add in summary before we close out our episode? No, I think we have uh, uh, exhausted the, the matter sufficiently. I would urge uh, people to take up and read sacred scripture and and study it as best they can. It's, it's a whole vast world 
that is unknown to many Catholics, and you have to unfortunately say that the Protestants know their sacred scripture better than Catholics do, and that is a bit of a scandal. Catholics should be able to respond to Protestants with at least a knowledge of their sacred scripture. But sometimes Protestants bring up things that Catholics never even heard of. And, uh, you know, so they should try to understand sacred scripture better and, and look into it more. Thank you, Your Excellency. Uh, before we go, how is Lent going at a Most Holy Trinity Seminary, Your Excellency? Well, you know, we have a Lenten program of uh, they get restricted amounts at, at breakfast and uh, for dinner, uh, for the evening meal, which is their light meal, they get uh, soup and bread. Uh, that's all they get. And um, <clears throat> then they have the full meal, but there's no desserts, uh, just a fruit uh, and uh, no snacking uh, in between meals. And uh, <clears throat> so they're on a regimen. I see them losing weight, <laughs> and, uh, which is, you know, what we should all do in Lent. And so I have this. Uh, I'm getting over the flu. That's why I'm coughing so much. I'm sorry. Uh, the um, uh, so uh, I, I think they're doing a good Lent. Uh, and, uh, so uh, uh, tomorrow is, is mid Lent. The the Thursday now. You know, may, maybe people will hear this at a different time. But the Thursday after the third Sunday of Lent is mid Lent. That means you're halfway through. So things are looking up tomorrow. Yes, and the website for the seminary is mostholytrinityseminary.org, and there are many um, articles and sermons of His Excellency. So please uh, support our seminarians. And, uh, well, once again, Your Excellency, thank you for your time, and we will talk to you again next month as we continue this series. God bless you. Thank you very much. Goodbye. We would again wish to thank the generous sponsorship of Australian Catholic Mission. If you have any questions for His Excellency or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at catechism at truerestoration.org, and we will pass along your questions or comments to His Excellency. And we would also take this moment to remind you that all correspondence with us are strictly confidential. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy, such as His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, who make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am Jason Guardiana. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.